For so many of us, our day-to-day is filled with feelings of bondage, of being stuck. For some of us, it is being stuck with internal struggles, fears, even addictions that hold us tightly. For others of us, it is being stuck in a set of rules we dare not break, fearing what others and God will think of us if we are fully known. But what if there is more for us? What if there is freedom? are being taught by other teachers that have come in later that they need to add something to the finished work of Jesus to be right before God. That it's, it's we have to, we, we, we have Jesus, but now we have to do other things. And Paul is adamant that to do so, to, to add anything to the finished work of Christ is in fact to abandon the God who called them by his grace. And this week we turn to Paul's defense of himself because you see the normal way, right, to discredit a message is to first discredit the messenger and so that's what's gone on. The, the, Paul himself has been discredited. But Paul does not point to his own greatness in his defense, but who he was before Christ and who he is now. Who he was before he was called and who he is now. So if you have your place uh, in Galatians chapter 1, if you'd stand in honor of God's word, we're going to be reading verses 11 to 24. This is God's word for us, friends. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, trying to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he, who had set me apart before I was born, And who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles? I didn't immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles. saw only James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. This is God's word given so that we might flourish. Would you pray with me? Lord, over this time we ask your grace, your presence. We we don't ask you to come into this place. You're already here. You called us here. But we do ask that you would come and, and speak in a way to us. Um, would you come and open our hearts, open our minds, uh, help us to see uh, clearly the gospel of Jesus. And so leave from this place as that gospel's bearers, those who carry it to others. We would ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. I would imagine many of you have seen this movie, but, but may, some of you probably not because you're not into the violent stuff. But um, in the opening scene of the movie Gladiators has Caesar's armies gathered in the, the regions of the wilds of Germania, right? And, and you've got uh, the armies stand, like in, in, their, in their columns and in their, arranged in the orders that they are. And then you have Caesar up on the hill with his private guard and, and they, are, they are awaiting 
And specifically, the, the General Maximus and his chief lieutenant are awaiting the, the return of a messenger that they have sent to the opposing army who was going to them with the message of surrender. You need to go surrender. You surrender. Lay down your arms. Ro- you are now under Roman rule, right? And as they're discussing whether or not this, this army will indeed surrender... Uh, a great call rings out, a horn is raised, it, and, and a rider is seen approaching. It's riding as fast as it can towards the lines. And on it is the messenger, who is missing a very vital part of his personhood that goes from about here up. And he's riding towards Caesar, or, or riding towards the Roman lines, and Maximus turns to his lieutenant and he answers, They say no. Right? So there's their answer. They killed the messenger. Killing the messenger is our normal thing. Someone delivers to us a message we don't like, we end up getting rid of him. Uh, and that's what this passage is about. Paul's authority has been challenged, as is his message. And to some extent now, he has to defend himself to defend his gospel. He has to defend who he is so that, so that what he said can be taken seriously. And to do so, he points to his story. And how, in fact, an unlikely apostle, an unlikely missionary, an unlikely servant of Jesus, Paul is. So this morning, we're going to look at this text in three ways. We're going, to, we're going to begin by looking at the apostolic resume. Then we're going to look at the apostolic defense. And then finally, we'll, we'll look at messages and messengers, okay? Let's start with the resume by engaging the critics. Look down at verses 11 and 12. Paul says, I'd have you know, brothers, the gospel preached by me is not from man, nor did I, did I receive it from man, nor was taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, so here's what's going on. Scholars will tell you, and we've, we've mentioned this the last couple of weeks, but let me remind us. Scholars will tell you that um, Paul had planted these churches in the region of Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey, in the southern part of modern-day Turkey. And as he preached them, there was <clears throat> excuse me, fierce opposition, and so he had to leave quickly. And as he left, behind him came other teachers. Not necessarily favorable to Paul, right? And they came in and began to undercut what he said. Now, we don't know exactly what they were teaching. It's not like they handed out pamphlets and we, we have them in some kind of original form. Uh, but we can piece together a good bit given the response, right? The basic idea is this. Paul is mistaken. He's a good guy. He's a nice man and all, but he's mistaken. I mean, you can't have, you can't follow the Jewish Messiah without becoming Jewish. That you, you can't be right before God. You can't be part of God's people without taking the markers on, taking the signs on that, that makes you part of that, which things like, like circumcision and eating the right food, doing the right things. You know, they would have said, look, look, who is this Paul guy anyway? I mean, is he one of the apostles? Did he come from, from Jerusalem? Is he one of Jesus' disciples? I mean, obviously, look, he's a good guy. We get that. He taught some good things. He certainly taught you about Jesus. That's good. But he, he's mistaken. He obviously didn't quite understand what was taught to him. Or maybe he's just trying to water down God's demands. That makes sense, right? This is always what happens when true biblical Christianity meets religiosity. Especially when it meets Christian religiosity. You know what I mean by that, right? The idea, like, yeah, 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 I get it. Jesus is great. But you can't be a Christian unless you believe in Jesus and do blank. Do this. You have to do this too. Jesus is great. I get it. He did what he did, and that's fine. But you can't do this and be a Christian. So Paul's first defense is to say this. Look, I didn't get this from men. I didn't learn this from any random dude. Uh, what I preach, I got straight from the mouth of Jesus. Okay? 
And this is important for us to understand right out of the gate. Paul is saying that the gospel that is preached by him literally was revealed to him by God. Okay? Revealed to him. And that, that word revealed, is the, uh, it's, a, it's the Greek word... Um, it's where we get our word apocalypse from, apocalypto. It, it means, uh, it means it, in, in the Jewish context, it was when God would pull back the curtain to reveal something that otherwise there was no chance of you seeing, right? Which is why um, the, the last book of the Bible is called Revelation. It's called Apocalypse, and it's not because apocalypse means end of the world, because that's not what it means. Apocalypse means an unveiling of something you couldn't have seen. John was able to see stuff going on in the heavenlies that uh, no way he would have seen that unless God revealed it. And the same thing is what Paul is saying here. There is no chance I would have gotten this unless Jesus himself revealed it. In other words, this isn't like a game of telephone, right? Where you're all sitting in a circle and whispering, and then it goes around the circle and you all laugh. and How funny this is that my message was nothing like what it began as and da-da-da-da. Paul is saying, I got this from the source Paul isn't several people removed from Jesus. He got this straight from his mouth. In other words, Paul is saying, look, there is no chance I could have gotten this on my own. I wasn't looking to be a missionary. I wasn't looking to follow Jesus. Jesus came to me. And that's what we heard uh, Jim saying from Acts 9, right? Paul's on his way to do something very different when he meets Jesus. And that brings us to verses 13 to 15. Look there, Paul's... Gets us into a story. He says, you've heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God. All right, stop there. We have this image, I'm not really sure why, but we all have it to some extent, that Jesus' first followers were like good little church boys. And they're little altar boys. And they, you know, they, they were good moral kids and they, they followed after Jesus. Either that or we think that, that the earliest Christians, the earliest teachers of Christianity, were kind of just out looking for a buck. But they were in this because they wanted power or fame. I mean, that's what you get from, from like Dan Brown, the Da Vinci Code. That, that Jesus, Jesus' followers were just trying to control people, which history tells us that didn't work well for them. But here's what Paul says, okay? I wasn't a disciple of Jesus. I was, in fact, trying to destroy the church worse than anyone else. Right? So, like, like Jim read, in the book of Acts, we're introduced to this dude named Saul, who would later be called Paul, and he is a piece of work. Here's what we know about him. He was born and raised in a college town called Tarsus. Tarsus would have been um, uh, vying for the, uh, the, the best education center in the Roman world. Okay? Now, of course, Athens had that because it's Greek and Athens and wisdom, but it would, it would have been a lot like the argument between, should I go to Harvard or Yale? Right? And they, they of course are going to argue back and forth on which one is the better one. Uh, but the, the point is, he, Tarsus would have been a great center of learning. His father was a Roman citizen. He was Jewish, but he was a Roman citizen. Um, Paul would have received a great education in the, in the kind of Greco-Roman curriculum. And then at some point in his life, we're not sure when, at some point his father sent him to Jerusalem to study under a, a Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel, who was one of the preeminent Jewish teachers of his day if not the most preeminent Jewish teacher of his day. Paul was trained as a Pharisee, which is a particular brand of Judaism that focused, and there's a bunch of stuff we could talk about them, we don't have time to go into it a ton, but for our purposes today, they were focused on purifying Israel from all of its Gentile influences. Right? So they wanted to get the, the Greek culture out, get the Roman culture out, and focus on what it means to be a covenantly, covenantally faithful member of God's family. Like That's what we need to focus on. 
Pharisees were so passionate about God's law that to make sure that they didn't break it, what they did was they established more rules to make sure you didn't even come close to getting near that rule that you might break. And so in other words, it's like, okay, I know I'm not supposed to work on the Sabbath, but here's just to make sure we're not getting anywhere close to work. We're going to set up a rule that says uh, you can only walk this far. Why? Well, walking might turn into work at some point. So we're going to establish a rule that says I can throw a stone and I can only walk as far as that stone before I have to stop. And then pick it up again. Chuck it a little bit further down the road. And then walk between it. Because we don't want to get anywhere close to breaking the Sabbath. Okay? These were not like loosey-goosey guys with the rules. They loved them. So when Paul says that he was extremely zealous for the traditions of the fathers, what we need to understand is what he doesn't mean is he's, he's not saying that like I was, I, I, I was the best rule keeper of the best rule keeper. That word zealous is code language. Um, in, in, in first century Judaism, that word zeal harkened back to another story in the Old Testament. In Numbers um, 25, I think, there's a story of a guy named Phineas. And Phineas was so zealous for the, for the glory of the Lord that he actually attacked people who were worshiping false gods. Attacked other other Jews who were worshiping false gods attacked them physically, the sword. And he was seen as a hero, especially during Paul's day. So if, if you were zealous for the traditions of the fathers, you were like Phineas, willing to use violence if necessary to purify God's people. So Paul is saying, that was me. I hated Gentiles. I wanted nothing more than to see idolatry destroyed. And you see, that's what he thought Christians were doing. He thought Christians were just idolaters. They were worshiping uh, Jesus falsely. He was not Messiah. He certainly wasn't God. And so he went from town to town, house to house, to either drag them off to prison or to kill them. That was what he did. Uh, he was advancing in Judaism beyond many of his contemporaries among his own people. And all that is to say, he was really religious. And so if you were Jewish and you met Saul, who would later become Paul, if you met this guy, you would have found him to be intelligent, pious, moral, and very passionate about the things of God. He would have been patriotic. He would have rallied against moral decay and kids these days. And he would have had very clear opinions about this fraud named Jesus and his followers who, def- who defame the name of God. He was a first century Jewish culture warrior. And Paul is making it clear. He is the last dude you should expect to be walking around the ancient world trying to get people to follow Jesus. The last one. He wanted Christianity eradicated. It doesn't just say that he persecuted. The ESV translates he persecuted violently. That word, pers- that, word that they translate violently means beyond measure, to the utmost. In, in, in uh, the original Greek, there, there's no greater superlative that you could give. He persecuted the church beyond all measure. He was not looking for Jesus. He was not trying to get on his team He was not climbing on the bandwagon, nor did he even have sympathies with some of the thoughts that Jesus' followers gave. Paul hated everything to do with Jesus and found Christianity to be dangerous. Not just wrong, dangerous. It would be unlikely enough to see him as a missionary for Jesus at all. But you mix in the fact that not only is he going and preaching Jesus, but he's going to Gentiles? Gentiles whom he thought God is right to destroy. 
and should. That is crazy to believe. So what is it that changes a violent, racist persecutor into a fervent evangelist? Look down at verses 15 and 16. Paul talks about it. He says, But when it pleased God, who set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace to reveal his son to me. This is crazy. Look, now, if you were someone who was familiar with the Old Testament, you would hear in that echoes of, of uh, another thing in the Old Testament. Um, the prophet Jeremiah had the ex- almost the exact same phraseology. God setting him apart from his mother's womb and all this stuff. It's, it's wonderful uh, in chapter 1, verse 5 of Jeremiah's uh, book. But Paul is echoing this for a reason. What is it that changes a person, person violently opposing Jesus into someone preaching him to the very people he hated? Grace. Now look, I, I said this a couple of weeks ago, that grace is the central concept of Christianity, and it is. Because the Bible teaches us that all of us are in need of rescue, every one of us. That we've, that we've all, Paul will say in another letter, that we've all sinned and fall sh- fallen short of the glory of God. Not some of us, all of us. And the problem is that Paul, because of his religiosity, had thought that that wasn't true of him, right? That he was one of the good ones. He was one of the moral ones. That he didn't really need God. That he, was, he had his ideas right. That theologically he was correct. He slaved for God. He fought for God. And he was willing to see those vile sinners out there pay for what they were doing. That is, until he realized that he was one of them. Can you imagine the shock of a man full of righteous indignation on his way to Damascus to see these, these, these God-haters punished when all of a sudden Jesus appears to him and says, Paul, you're hating me. You think you're fighting for God, but you're not. You're fighting against him. You think you're his friend, but you're his enemy. See, that's the crazy thing about sin, right? Because we often associate it with things like immorality and irreligion. But Paul wasn't immoral, and he certainly wasn't irreligious. Sin can look very religious and very moral. Because many of us use our morality to stay far from God. We don't, I don't need you. I don't need grace. It's, that's all right. I all I need is a few more rules. I just need to get my act together. I need a little bit more self-discipline. If I can just, if I can just work a little harder, try a little harder, it's okay. I've got this covered. Thank you. Thank you very much. But see, Jesus came to live the life that you're trying to but can't. (laughs) That sinless life that you can't. But then he died to deal with our sin. Because we betrayed God. But Jesus bore the judgment due for that. You and I didn't need rules. And that's the overwhelming message of the Bible. We don't need rules. We need a rescuer. Jesus appeared to Paul. And Paul suddenly saw where all of his religiosity got him. Blinded on a road with no hope. But here's the thing. To Paul's shock, Jesus did not come. Even though Paul was violent, Jesus, this, Jesus doesn't say, um, in, the, in the reading that James gave us, Jim gave us, it wasn't, um, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? He says, why are you persecuting me? And when Jesus shows up on the scene, it's not to punish Paul, to, to, to condemn him for doing these things. He comes to save him. He comes to rescue him from his own self-righteousness. You see, Paul could never be tempted to believe that, that his, own, uh, his, his own actions earned God's favor. 
That's why in Paul, in another place, in the book of Philippians, when he's talking about all the stuff that he did in Judaism, he says, look, yes, I, I was the best possible Jew you could be. If anyone had reason to boast, I had more. And now, in light of Jesus and his cross, I count it all as garbage. It's all trash. Not that it, it's not bad in and of itself. But in light of Jesus and what he did, it is trash. It is garbage. Paul says that he was rescued by Jesus so that, for the purpose of, Preaching Jesus' gospel to the Gentiles. Paul is very clear. God had a plan before I existed. And he executed it in Paul's life to reveal Jesus to him and to send him out as Jesus' messenger. Right? And that brings us to cultivation and accommodation. Look down at verses 17 and 24. Paul says, He didn't go consult with flesh and blood, nor go up to Jerusalem, but went into Arabia and then returned to Damascus. All right, what's Paul doing? Basically, this is the point he's trying to make. When I had this experience, I didn't then run off to these people and get taught what I should say. I didn't go and find Peter and James and John and learn from them. As a matter of fact, he says this by saying that I didn't go to those who were apostles before me. He's basically saying, I'm on the same level that they are. Yeah, we, we didn't have that apostleship at the same time, but... They were before me, but, but Paul's saying, I'm on the same level as those guys who walked with Jesus for three years. They received their apostleship from Jesus, and so did he. They were sent by Jesus with a mission, and so was he. And then he goes on. He says, after three years then, I went to visit Peter. And that's very important, because what he doesn't say is, I went to go get taught by Peter because I was so confused. That word visit literally means to go hang out with. It's not to go learn from, to go sit at his feet. He went to just meet Peter. To become friends with Peter. And he didn't hang with any of the other apostles. The only other guy that he hung out with, apparently, was was James, the Lord's brother. Now, for some of us, that's confusing, right? Because we've either been brought up in traditions that would deny that Jesus had any brothers, or or we're trying to reconcile how is that possible, uh, right? But here's the way that works. So, um, you know that Jesus' Jesus' birth was slightly miraculous, right? It was a virgin birth. But after he was born, Joseph and Mary actually consummated their marriage. They had had multiple kids, lots of kids. We're told about them in the Gospels. We're told a lot about them, as a matter of fact. Here's the one thing that we're told is consistent about all of them. They all thought Jesus was crazy. You would, too, if your older brother started walking around saying, I'm perfect and I'm God. You'd be like... Whatever, like, come home. We got, we got fields to till. Like, what are you talking about? They all thought Jesus was crazy until after he was raised from the dead. And, and a point is made in, in the story about, as Paul tells it a little later, that when Jesus rose from the dead, he, he appeared to Peter. And then he appeared to James. That James. His brother. And all of a sudden, everything changed. So here again, we have a mention of another unlikely leader whom Jesus appeared to, and their life changed. Because James went from being skeptic, crazy skeptic, to a leader in the early church. And so, those last couple of verses there at the end are are very important for what Paul's trying to get across. Peter was okay with Paul. Peter didn't go, well, ah, Paul... Let me, let me learn you a little bit, because you got things all wrong. Uh, Peter was fine with him, but Paul didn't get taught and commissioned by him. And the church in Judea, well, they heard of him, but what they didn't say in response to that was, that dude waters down the gospel. He is watering down the demands of God. 
he is not getting it right. What they heard and what they, what they stated was, the one who persecuted us is now preaching the faith he tried to destroy. And they gave God glory because of him. So Paul is answering his opponents by saying, look, I am the least likely person to try and water down the rules to make God more palpable to others. I loved the rules. But God revealed his son to me. He rescued me when I was fighting against him and didn't even know it. And those apostles in Jerusalem like me, they know me and they're fine with me because we all preach the same thing. That's what Paul is trying to get across. Okay? Now, let me try and apply this passage to us if I can, first by speaking of opposing messages. Look, it is fashionable and has been for some time to set Jesus and Paul against one another, right? you got Jesus, who was this enigmatic figure that we don't know what to do with. And then you have Paul. And, and if you took like a Bible class in, um, in college, you, this is probably what you heard. You know, like, like Paul is the actual founder of Christianity. And what he said has nothing to do with Jesus. And, and oftentimes it often goes like this. You have, you have Jesus, who was kind of the, the free-thinking, kind of loosey-goosey guy who just loved people. And then you had Paul, who later came along and put down authority and structure. And he was exclusive and just mean and hated women. Like that, that's often what you hear. And then on the other side, out of the, the same camp, you can hear, well, Jesus was actually Jewish. And so talked about Jewish things. And Paul, well, he hated Judaism. And he just dispensed with all the rules. So you got Paul, the rule maker, and Paul, the rule hater, in the same kind of breath from the same kind of people trying to set him apart from Jesus. Okay. Eh, probably means he was saying the right thing. Um, but... Here's the thing. Um, Paul's argument here and the overriding message of the New Testament is that he and Jesus do not have opposing messages. Okay? Jesus came and taught consistently, both, that it is the sick that need a doctor. Right? He came as, a, as someone to heal. It is the sick that need a doctor. And oh, by the way, everyone is sick. <laughs> right? That, that um, it is... He, he came not for the righteous, but for sinners, but then showed consistently that all of us are sinners, not just notorious people. Jesus did not come to give us new rules. He came, according to Jesus himself, to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The good shepherd, Jesus says, gives his life in the place of the sheep. And Paul says it too. He says, the lawyer in this very book, in the book of Galatians, the life I live now, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? He'll say in another place that God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. And Paul says, uh, on, I plead with you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God, to come and rest in him. The gospel hasn't changed between Jesus and Paul. It is still that you and I can only be made right with God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is because Paul was an authorized messenger of Jesus. He's an apostle of Jesus, authorized and spirit-filled messenger of the gospel. When he spoke or wrote as an apostle, it is with the authority of Jesus. In fact, Christians believe that, look, these letters by Paul weren't just written by him. That, in fact, God so superintended their writing that they are, in fact, the inspired and inerrant word of God. Not just of Paul. So let's not pretend that the red letters, if you have them in your Bible, are somehow more important than all the others. It is the word of God. All of it. 
These are not opposing messages. They are one gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? Secondly, we need to talk about an ordained messenger. Paul brings out a line of thought here we need to wrestle with. And I, for some of us, this is going to be old hat. Some of us, this is going to be brand new. Okay? So I need, you to, I need you to check back in if you can. The idea that he gives us to wrestle with is God's sovereignty. Right? Because Paul is clear. God set him apart from before his birth. God called him by his grace. God revealed Jesus to him. Did you notice who was doing all of the acting in these sections? It ain't Paul. It's not Paul saying, I got this right. Finally, I figured it all out. I was, hey, I, I just had an epiphany on the way to Damascus. I thought, these, these guys were a bunch of criminals. I need to lock them up. And all of a sudden I went, the gospel. Now I get it. I figured this out. Like, no, he's saying... God acted. God had to act. Now, we may quibble and say, Rick, this is only speaking to Paul's role as an apostle, but the point is this. God God had a plan in Paul's life. He executed a plan in Paul's life. God was the actor. God was the sovereign one. God was the one who chose Paul. Not the other way around. And Paul uses this bit of knowledge to make sure people understand that he is not in this gig for his own gain. If he was, he chose a bad gig. He should have gotten out of it quick. He's saying, on my own, I would still be a persecutor. And he'll say this in slightly different language about God's sovereignty in another book, in the book of Romans, when he says, when he says that, that those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In other words, he, those he foreknew, he chose to be conformed to Jesus, to be rescued by Jesus. And those he foreknew, or those he foreknew, he predestined, those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. In other words, he made right with God. And those he justified, glorified. Our situation is such that none of us, none of us, on our own, are looking for Jesus. God comes to us. He initiates with us. He saves us. And he is sovereign even over our salvation. And that is why he gets all the glory and our pride gets checked. Because I can't look at you or at anyone else and say, I've got this right and y'all are just wrong. If you were smart like me, good like me, uh, you know, fun like me, everything would be okay for you. And this is why Paul can make so much of God. Paul had nothing. I had nothing. Listen to me. <laughs> I, I wasn't looking for God. I was convinced That Jesus died as a political revolutionary, that all these Christians were crazy, and that God was, I believe in God, sure, and he was really lucky to have me because I was a good moral kid. That, That is what I believed. And this means that no one is too far from God's grace. Look, we we pray for God to work in the lives of those we know because if he doesn't, we are all lost. Here's what else this means. Paul is clear. He was set apart from the womb. But as Paul was set apart from the womb, there's a good distance between the womb and this experience on the road to Damascus, right? There's a lot of story in between there. And none of it was a mistake. Paul's education, his background, even his Roman citizenship, God used all of it. God redeemed all. All of it, so that Jesus might be known to get Gentiles. Look, Paul could preach to Gentiles because he knew their languages. He knew their literature. He was taught it. 
He knew where the gospel would be radioactive to them, where it would make sense to them, because he lived among them. He, He was taught by them. And the same is true of us. Listen, if you are here this morning and you think that your story is best forgotten, you are wrong. You are sent by God, the same God that worked in your life to take the gospel to those that only you are uniquely equipped to speak to. Look, I can't. Some of you come from backgrounds that I have no connection to. I can't speak to those folks. I don't have, I don't have the, the, the relationships. I don't have the street cred. Like I, I, don't, I don't have the empathy, honestly, for, that, for those particular things. But you do. God rescues us. He reveals his son to us. And then he sends us to make him known to others. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we come... Uh, Now, out of this time, we ask that you would press the gospel deep into our hearts. That we would see, even in our own stories, that you were the one acting on us, in us, through us. That you were working for your glory and for our good. That you are our rescuer, not our teacher. You are our Lord, not our buddy. And you are also our father and not our taskmaster. Lord, I pray that you would drive the gospel deep into our hearts and help us to wrestle with these things well and that by your spirit you would produce good fruit from it. For my friends here who don't know you, I pray that um, as we explore our doubts, our questions, that, Lord, you would give us life and work to see more people enter the kingdom of God. For those of us that do, Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember again and to press deeper in to leave our pride at the door and see that you alone are the Savior of our souls. And that if you can save us, you can save anyone. Mm -hmm. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.